VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Tudor. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And happy fucking New Year. Yeah. This is the My Pair Podcast. It is 2024. Wow. Who's hungover? We don't know because we're recording this early. But you <laughs> probably are if you're listening to it on Monday. Thank you so much. We are your hanger of your cure of choice. We know. If any of our voices are shrill in your ears, you can listen to this tomorrow. <laughs> and happy birthday to Zach. Happy, yeah, happy birthday, Zach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh, 40. Old man wow, here. cool. We got it out of our system. Sweet. So uh, I just, I'm done with the 40, man. Let's move on. I can't. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> uh, predict, this is our prediction episode. We do this every year. Uh, some we get right. Some we get wrong. Mm-hmm. Some we don't ever talk about again um <laughs> but i you know it's always a fun episode we want to hear your predictions too hit us up at podcast at vinepair.com let us yes. know what you think is going to happen in 2024 2024 uh and uh i think i think we should kick it off with joanna okay what let's give us give us a hot prediction for this year what's going to happen joanna okay i think this year yes. we will see more agave spirits which is to say not tequila but agave spirits coming from the united states so tequila made in the U.S. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think that there's a huge opportunity there that farmers in California specifically have spoken about agave being a good crop for the land out there. Interesting. And there is this, however waning, interest in tequila that still exists that will inspire people to seek other options that are very similar. So you don't think that people will have any issue that it's not actually – that it doesn't say tequila. They'll be fine because it's just an agave spirit. I think. I don't know. We'll see. That's a really good point. But I think there will be more of them if not Like we're going to get sent a lot of them. them. Right. Interesting. <laughs> a lot of people are trying to do it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I've I got think, another one. Oh, sorry. Go, Zach. Well, yeah. I was just going to say I think agave – it's a good point too because as we have talked about a couple times – Agave remains a captivating selling point even on its own, even if you can't yeah. attach tequila to it or even mezcal to it. I think there's still a general kind of curiosity and or uh, affinity for agave products of all kinds here in the U.S. Yep. And so, yes, if you say, oh, this is you know American-grown agave from California or from Texas or whatever, and we're distilling it, it's, it's made in the same way as tequila is traditionally made. It's just not from the tequila region or whatever. I think there could be a market for it if if they're you know if they're good and and or well priced and or well marketed or you know whatever yeah that's interesting. Don't you remember that um, agave bourbon we saw at yeah, BCB yeah, that year? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think yeah, I think that's a good point, Zach. But um, somewhat related to this, I think, and this will be like a very niche trend that we'll maybe see in the industry. Okay, but I think there will be more from Oaxaca. That's not mezcal necessarily, but other spirits coming from oh, Oaxaca. This was my prediction, Joanna. Oh, no way. <laughs> my prediction Boom. was yes. my prediction was going to be <laughs> that twenty twenty four was going to be the year of spirits from Mexico that aren't agave based. So okay. I don't know. So they're all kind of swirling around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, rum, gin. And I think Mexico is so like Mexico is as a country in this to to the in the American market is like so vital right now. I think there's so much fascination, whether it's as we you know, whether it's the number one beer in the country being from Mexico, yep. whether it's obviously the continued success of tequila and of mezcal. I think there's just so much demand for things that are from Mexico, evocative of Mexico, um, that that bring that kind of uh, sensibility to uh, to play here in the, this country, and 
I just think, yeah, it's, it's, it's that that's going to the, you know, the tequila boom, the mezcal boom are bringing along mm-hmm. things like rum and gin that are also very exciting. And, and mango eau de vie. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Wow. Well, <laughs> maybe talk about niche. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That will be going directly to the McCurdy household. <laughs> <laughs> and only to the McCurdy household. Uh-huh. What about you, Zach? Besides that one. You got another one? Yes. So kind of tying into this on a broader sense, I think uh-huh. we're going to start to see more bars open that are tailored around the the sort of drinks. They're not drink or spirit specific, but they're more meant to be evocative of a place. More they're super more, buenos. Yeah, that's a good example of yeah. one that I think that I think you're right. That. And I think in general, like, uh, you might see more bars that are, instead of being a French wine bar, they're sort of a, okay, we're going to carry French wines, but we'll also have, you know, uh, Cognac and Armagnac, we'll have Eau de Vie, we'll have, you know, Chartreuse if we can find it, etc. And the idea is going to be a little, to be a little more sort of comprehensive look at a, at a country's drinks I don't say industry that feels a little bit kind of crass, but like the sort of drinking experience in this place and less about we're going to build a bar that's all about whiskey or all about gin or all about tequila or whatever. Right. And, and I think in part because those other things have been done so much and yeah. people are going to be looking for new spins on, you know, frankly themed bars, as we talked a lot about in 2023. And to me, one of the easiest themes to tap into is these countries with these rich, varied uh, alcohol traditions and they can include, you know, beer, spirits, wine, et cetera, in some places at least. And that is, I think what we'll see more of is, is places that lean into that, whether it's the countries I mentioned or lots of other ones, you know, who's going to fucking love this. Who? Anyone who's a Disney person that hangs out at Epcot Center. Because that's what it's going to be. It's the Epcot Center vacation <laughs> of bars. Mirate did that too. Yeah. I mean, Mirate does that I, too. I mean, so. I, I think that's what I think when I'm <laughs> spot on, I think because like, for example, Dante's almost there right. as one of the, as another example, but then the food is not as Italian as it could be. But then they might argue that, no, this is actually what you, this is kind of classic Milan. Mm. But yes, I think that Zach, you know, only Italian wine program, Italian cocktails, Italian spirits, like 100%. You're seeing this more and more. Super Bueno is like, it's a Mexican-American experience is what they, they say, what Nacho says. But uh, it still is a theme that's very yeah. different than others. I think this that, that's that's but another good one. Mirate is all Mexican. Yes. Yeah. All Mexican, Mexican wine, Mexican food. Yes. Yep. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I think we're going to see uh, – this coming year is the further solidification of Provençal Rosé as the premium rosé and category in rosé and the falling away and cheapening of other rosés. So all that's going to be due to LVMH. Their purchase of Chateau Minuti as well now gives them two of the biggest rosé brands with Whispering Angel and Minuti. They are very bullish on the fact that they are leaning in not to rosé, but into Provençal rosé. They see it as the exact same as champagne. I think they're going to invest heavily here. I think they're going to continue to buy uh, more rosé houses in Provence specifically. They're top leadership team in in Paris has said basically that they believe in wine as a major category for them. But when they say wine is a major category, they really mean champagne and rosé. And they mean Provençal rosé, which is going to, I think, hurt a lot of rosé from the rest of the world and going to continue to establish light salmon colored rosé as the rosé, as the premium rosé to the massive, massive, massive chagrin of Psalms who are, have been trying to push other rosés for uh, years, but I think that it's not going to be able to compete against what the general consumer sees in the market from LVMH, and that's going to be what happens. 
Yeah, and I think you're right because I think there's there's this element that has been missed at times, even though it was so crucial to the early kind of rosé trend in this country, yeah. which was the association with you know, the Riviera luxury, a kind of lifestyle wine. And it somehow in the intervening years, that appeal, the reason why Rosé started to gain traction here was was sort of forgotten by people. And they yeah, started trying yeah. to push like all kinds of other Rosés that are like sometimes quite tasty, but like no one is really like, you Some know what I want? Water. my Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like, well, not even that, it's, which is at least has summer in the name, but like people don't necessarily <laughs> want their rosés to evoke like a rainy day in April in the Loire Valley yeah. or, you know, <laughs> um, uh, some excess, uh, you know, sunny uh, red wine in Napa Valley in June. Like those are not the, you know, people want that, you know, and this is what LVMH, as we talked about a bunch, understands. They want to buy the lifestyle they want to buy the image and the image is you're sitting there with you know your shades on looking at the mediterranean as beautiful people move around you and you're drinking a a very very light colored rosé and like yep. it's really really hard to compete with that image and when you can sell that image as the LVMH can with these brands you're going to yeah i agree what else we got all right i think in the beer space yes we're going to see more brewery closures 100% and a general leveling out in the beer space, basically this year in 2023, uh, there were, sorry, where is this? 420 brewery openings and 385 brewery close, closures. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm just thinking back to, uh, you know, this idea that Tilray's CEO's phone was like ringing off the hook recently with all mm-hmm. these <laughs> breweries trying to sell. Yeah. Um, so I think they're either going to desperately try to s- sell to a bigger company or close. Yep, I think you're right. Joanna, you keep taking my things off my ah, list. Ah, <laughs> we are finally in sync here. <laughs> this is like... Yeah, oh, apparently my prediction for 2024, 2024 should have been Joanna and I agree for once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, what I was going to say, I think you, you mentioned the thing I wanted to mention, which is that anecdote about you know breweries calling up Tilray being like, please buy us. Yeah. Because I think that you're going to see a lot more it's not necessarily even closures although that will be part of it but a lot of these kind of like very expedient exits from not just small breweries but medium to even pretty good sized uh legacy craft brands that just have no clear path forward except perhaps as a part of a reformulated conglomerate that you know Tilray seems to have some idea how to make this work you know the time will tell on that I'm not predicting there (laughs) but but I think it's just one of those things where there isn't a a clear other trajectory for these brands you know the 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 big existing alcohol brands as we talked about recently with Diageo are all trying to get out of the beer industry none of them want to be in it and even the ones that are in it like ABA and Bev seem to want to want to get out of craft that's obviously what got Tilray going and like I think it's just really hard to see what else these brands can do, but sell off to someone who will give them something or who's willing yeah, to buy close. them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somehow. So we're going to talk about this next week, but I think this is also going to be the, be the year when the alcohol industry finally realizes that non-alcoholic products do not the rise of non-alcoholic products do not mean that there is a growing non-alcoholic movement or sober movement, that these are actually products that drinkers are choosing to drink at the one or two nights a week they don't drink because they actually like alcohol that fucking much, that the only way that they can't not drink on a night is to drink something non-alcoholic, a substitute. 
I think that that is 100% what's going to be realized. There is data we're going to talk about in our next episode that proves this, that was released at the end of 2023. And I think there's going to be more studies that prove this as well. And the industry will finally realize that that is what this is. And they can stop sending, like, sounding the alarm bell that people aren't drinking anymore and start realizing that it's actually these are products they need to make for consumers that like to drink so much, in fact, that the only way that they don't drink on a Wednesday or Thursday night is to drink a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. Um, I have another one. Let me roll while I'm rolling. Let me ro- <laughs> let me cook while I'm cooking. Uh, I think I think I think that there's. I think we're also going to see a few more uh, major acquisitions this year. Yeah. Uh, and I think primarily that is going to come. So first of all, I do think one potentially uh, or two other bourbon brands will get bought. Okay. Um, I there's a few of them that I can think of that have become. Much, much, much more well known. You got some predictions? Come on. So, obviously, the the one that's really come out of the gate and been massive in the past few years is uh, Bardstown, but they're private equity funded, so, and I don't think they're ready to flip it, and they're making massive uh, investments. So I don't think that it will be Bardstown. I think there's a few others that people are sniffing around. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. Not going to say. But, okay. Okay. Uh, you can think. You, you, you probably there's there's three of them. Two of them really are more barrel finishing program uh, brands. Another one is based in Louisville Mm -hmm. uh, that hasn't been bought yet. It's kind of surprising. I think it will soon. Um, And I think that's going to come from one of the companies that already doesn't have a a cool kid bourbon brand or a few yet. So I don't think it will be Campari, Bacardi, et cetera. Maybe Spirit Spirit of Gallagher's shopping. I would not be surprised. I also think there's going to be one or two of the cool kid tequila brands that we know that are going to get bought. Um, I would not be surprised if Fortaleza, finally. So he's adamant that it won't be, but again, everyone has a price. Um, I also think that there's a few others that we've talked about recently that are on the on the come up, including one based out of Austin that maybe have something to do with a very famous brand owned by Diageo. Uh, a few others that I just I think people are going to continue to to see that as the opportunity as they want to continue to grow their market share of tequila. And then I also think that you're going to see some of the larger alcohol companies start to somewhat specialize, meaning they don't want to own every category anymore, and they're going to start dropping the categories that they are not performing as well in as they the don't brands. have expertise in. Yes. Yeah. So, for example, Beam dropping Cavassier, you know, Beam Store dropping Cavassier. We already had seen historically Diageo dropping Bushmills years ago, and that worked out famously for them. They don't have any real desire to have a Irish. I mean, they do have an Irish whiskey again that's a, a co-project with, with Guinness. Uh, but they don't really push it that much. I can't even tell you the name of the brand. That can show you. I think it's something in Row Row and Co. Right, yeah. but it, it's not a big brand, and I don't think that they have a huge push behind it. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of these brands that are faltering for certain companies uh, get picked up by other companies, and they can have better luck with them. Right. So, like this company may not have the attention that it needs to pay for because they're really a company that's very good at executing against X, Y, or Z alcohol skew. But we know how to execute against this skew, and so therefore we're we're more than happy to pick off the brand and give it the love and attention we think that it needs. I, I wouldn't be surprised. There's there's a lot of historic spirits brands out there that haven't done as well as they probably should have done in the past few years. That um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see change hands. Mm-hmm. And what about in wine? In wine, I think. People are going to continue to shop because there's going to be a lot of, uh, especially in American wine, mm-hmm. because there's going to be a lot of American winemakers who are boomers who are coming to the end of their days and their kids don't want the properties. And Ooh, so, stay tuned for an article from me on this very topic. Yes, at some point so, in January. And so, <laughs> and so, I think that's also going to be something that happens. Is at least these these either these places are already in talks or they'll go up for sale. 
Um, but you know the the legacy uh, in the U.S. is just not as much of a big deal to United to kids in the United States as it is in Europe. We don't feel the need to take over the businesses that our parents ran, and I think you're going to see a lot of people who are now in their 70s and 80s who don't want to do this anymore who feel like they need to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's going to be some of the better wineries where that happens are going to get com- completely, uh, you know, Get that Dow snatched. money. Yeah, for sure. The Dow money or even lesser than that because, again... No, I'm just kidding. That was a lot of money. Well, I think that there may be a lot of wineries that get, you know, a lot of bigger wine companies or even medium-sized wine companies that get a few steals because people just need to sell at this point. Like, yeah, there yeah. is no succession plan and they just are like, well, it's either... I sell this off in parts to a bunch of new young winemakers that want to make wine in their own name and image, or I sell my brand and all of this to a wine company for a price that's maybe less than I want, but at least allows me to pass something on to my kids, and they don't want the winery anyway. And nothing in beer. Nothing's getting nothing, bought in beer. No, everything's nothing's getting bought in beer. <laughs> so yeah. I have a couple more that I want to make. One of them I think is really interesting because it it comes back to something that we've been talking about in a few different dimensions, which is... I think 2024 is going to be a really confusing year for consumer trends when it comes to alcohol level in various products. So we've talked Mm -hmm. recently about sort of crazy demand for cask strength whiskey in particular, and to some extent other spirits. We've also talked about the earlier this in 2023 about the incredible demand for like double IPAs, sort of high ABV beers. And yet, one of the things that I've heard a lot from retailers of late is that they do get a lot of people shopping, looking for lower ABV products, not non-alcoholic products, to be clear. And again, talk about that soon, but looking for lower ABV and in particular in wine yeah. and how that is really creating a weird weird pressures on the industry in various ways, whether it's in, in retail or whether it's in distribution or, of course, on the production side of – you know, kind of trying to understand how you deliver products that people want that hit the ABV mark that people are expecting. And it's funny to me that you have drinkers in beer and spirits who are like, more alcohol, please. And maybe along with that, more flavor. And yet in wine, it's like less alcohol, please, fewer calories. And again, these are gross generalizations. It's not uh, obviously the whole story. But I just think it's really interesting. It will be very interesting to keep an eye on how in 2024, you look at more products that are you know, being either re-engineered or released to kind of try and hit that sweet spot. Because I think one thing that we've seen with wine in particular is that the the really low alcohol wine, you know, the seven, eight percent alcohol wine has mostly flopped because it doesn't taste good and that's really hard to do. But maybe some of these brands come back and take a swing at ten or eleven percent ABV wine, which seems a little more plausible to me as something you could make taste more indistinguishable, but hit an ABV that people are some people are looking for. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's really that in, is really interesting in the context of like diet wine, right? And we, which we've talked about in the past. And and I was, I saw I was reading a, an article about session wine, which is I guess what they're calling that outside of yeah. the United States, which is really interesting to me because it's essentially diet wine. Yep. Right. It's low calorie, lower ABV, um, but it's being marketed as something that's very sessionable, which it sounds like what people are looking for, um, as you mentioned, Zach. So, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how serious winemakers approach that 100%. demand versus, like, big brands putting out a diet wine. Totally. Yeah. I have one more. 
Oh, yeah, I got one oh, more. Oh gosh. Okay, gosh. You go ahead. You go ahead. So Jan, okay, I'll go first, oh. and I'll see if I'm channeling you, Zach. Exactly. Probably not, though. Okay, I think that we're going to see something that we saw a lot of this year already, but we'll see more of next year or this year. Sorry, wait. That we saw a lot of in 2023, yeah, and we will see in 2024 is more thoughtful beverage menus. Uh, across the country at bars. So we've already seen, you know, and Zach and I have talked about this on the pod already, but, you know, ABVs for cocktails on menus, lower yep. ABV sections, not m- more robust and thoughtful uh, zero-proof sections, um, really spending a lot of time and effort to make sure that bar menus across the country are, are more inclusive and offer something for everyone. That is not mine. So, so we're, I, I think I that's not going to be true, just... but uh, that's a good one. Really? Yeah. I think so. I don't know. Maybe wish. I think there will be a, a kind of bar that looks to do Not that, across the sure. country. I think in certain markets, markets okay. but not across the country. All right. So I keep coming back to something that Adam in particular has harped on of late, and I'm sort of surprised he didn't mention this, but uh, maybe he'll, he'll tell me that uh, he no longer it, thinks it, it's true. It was my last one. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it could be. But I think that uh, we are going to see, in addition to what I discussed before about, you know, sort of more of these country-specific or region-specific bars and restaurants opening, is a lot of, for lack of a better way of putting it, just straight-up party vibe spots. Yeah. I think that the... You're the brasserie, basically. Yeah, but but like but like the brasserie, like but like the exportation of kind of like what we've talked about is whether it's Vegas, Miami, et cetera, kind of party cities, really going nationwide and places opening all over the country that are looking to bring that sensibility, bring that kind of party vibe, the sort of like yeah, you're drinking a lot. You're it's almost the opposite of what you're discussing, Joanna. It's like the least thoughtful kind of experience because it's all about indulgence. It's, it's all about reason. kind of yeah. yeah, and it's like it's a party and like yeah, it's a it's a hundred and fifty dollar bottle of wine. Who cares what it is? And it's a you know round of shots that are twenty five dollars each. And who ca- like it's just kind of like more 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 go 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 do it do it do it big time. And like you could do it in your medium sized city. Uh, that you happen to live in you don't have to go to vegas or miami to have that experience because in the end if people want that experience operators would be sort of foolish to not bring it to them Hmm. yep uh so the last one i actually think is just the continued shrinking of the by the glass uh wine list i think we're gonna see way more (laughs) i agree just (laughs) yeah that was like i know i think we're gonna see way more cocktails and way less wines by the glass and i think that you're going to have to more and more have to ask for the wine list hmm like they're assuming when you sit down that the menu that they are giving you is the menu you want, which includes cocktails, and that basically if you want wine, they have a wine program, especially at these new new re- these restaurants that uh, you know we've been talking about. Zach just talked about those places. There will not be a wine. You will only get the wine list and a very robust by the glass program at top tier Michelin striving restaurants. Hmm. And everywhere else, it will be a very small program. And if you want to see a wine list, they have it and they will bring it to you. But it is not something that they care that much about, probably because they do not have a Psalm on staff. Oh, yeah, anymore. I was going to say, yep. And they are prioritizing hiring top talent behind the bar. That is 100% what I think we will see. Let us know what you think. Uh, hit us up at podcastatvinepair.com and send us your predictions. Uh, we love to hear them. Yes. Uh, you know, let's let's keep track this year. Let's see who's right. Let's see who's wrong. You know, I think I think I was probably like got all mine last year right, but nobody remembers what they were. So it's cool. But I'm sure uh, I'm sure they were all right. We should have checked in on those uh, next time. That's on you to do. Okay, <laughs> and uh, yeah, let us know, everybody. I hope you have a great day nursing that hangover. 
Maybe you're eating caviar. Maybe you're eating bacon. I don't know. Whatever it is, (laughs) I hope you have a great day, and we will all be back together for the Friday episode. Until then. Have a great week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So, the Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.